If you're a regular listener of the This Week in Photo podcast right here on the TWIP network with Frederick Van Johnson, you may know the name Martin Bailey. Martin is a regular guest host on that podcast. He's also a Tokyo-based nature and wildlife photographer, and today he will discuss with me one of his shots of dancing cranes called QI2 on this episode of Behind the Shot. Hello and welcome to another episode of Behind the Shot where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look at one of their shots because really in the end all that matters. We like to take a look at the shot from conception to implementation and any of those weird little issues that come up in between. My name is Steve Brazel and my guest today is a nature and wildlife photographer that is based in Tokyo. His name is Martin Bailey. Martin, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks for having me on your show. It's, it's my pleasure. You've got some amazing work. And, and, and one of the things that's exciting to me is always seeing the type of work that that you don't shoot normally. And, and I'm not a nature and wildlife photographer, and I'm definitely not based in Tokyo. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, as you can probably tell from the accent, I'm originally from England. Um, moved to Japan 25 years ago now, and I... I fell in love with the, the, you know, people think of Japan as being the, the bustling sort of city side, but it's actually got a lot of beautiful um, natural wildlife and, and landscapes. And I sort of just fell in love with it. And, you know, fast forward 20 years or so, and I'm, I'm ditching a, a really good job um, for a quarter of the pay doing photography full time. Um, and I just, you know, I've, I've ter- it's turned out that, Photography just drew me in. Um, it became, it went from a hobby to a passion, and I'm I'm now you know doing this full time, and you know the really the nature is is everywhere if you if you're prepared to jump in a car for an hour or two, uh, especially in the cities. Um, and so I it it's really just sort of engulfed me and became become my life. So so some yeah. of the type of stuff that you shoot is only an hour away from Tokyo. Some of it, um, not an, you know, to get into landscapes, you can get to those within an hour, 90 minutes or so. Um, they, I, I photographed the snow monkeys quite a lot and they are about a three and a half, four hour drive. Um, and the, you know, the, a lot of the most spectacular winter wildlife that I, I've um, been photographing for 10 years or so now is, you have to get on a plane. That's a, a domestic flight up to the northern island of Japan called Hokkaido. Still three hours even for the snow monkeys for something so unusual isn't that bad. Now, along with being, you know, quote unquote, a, a professional photographer, you do a number of different things. You've been into podcasting for, for quite some time. Yeah. Um, you're an avid blogger. Uh, you are a Guragir pro, mm-hmm. a, an X-Rite Colorado member, craft and vision author, you do a lot of different things. You wear a lot of different hats and you've been mm. published in a number of different places. Uh, tell me some of the places you've been published. Well, the, um, the, as far as my work being published, the, for example, x right used one of my snow monkey images on a worldwide campaign of theirs. Um, I've done various assignments. I'm, I'm not a big assignment photographer in that I don't try to market myself to, to fill my schedule with assignments, but I've done some that I'm, I'm quite proud of one. One was in a, a limited edition book, a big fat uh, book that was created in in Paris about the 
the lack of wear, a very unique subject, but subject, but lack of wear pens with, uh, they're called Mackier uh, designs in them. And basically it's where they sprinkle glitter into, into lacquer. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, it's pretty weird stuff, but that was a, that was a great project. That's many years ago now. Um, now I also see you had some stuff used by Korean air. You've been in popular yeah. photography and you've yeah. even done exhibitions, both joint, but you've even had a solo exhibition as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. My solo exhibition was, I did that in 2010 when I quit my old day job. It was me putting a stake in the ground saying, this is my work. Uh, at the point when I flip from, from being a, you know, a, a part-time photographer to full-time. And I wanted to just sort of say, this is, this is me right now. And I'll probably do another one in a few years time and, and exclude everything from before, uh, when, you know, from while I was doing another job, I don't think it's that big a thing, but it, it was a, a turning point for me. And so I, uh, I feel as though I want to put another stake in the ground in a few years. So, so let me ask you a question. Let's get into your shot because your shot is something I can't imagine me ever shooting, which mm. I kind of like the fact that I'm about to look at this shot. <laughs> Tell me a little about the shot. Is there a name for it? Yeah. So it's, it's called QI2 and I actually just call it Q, the letter Q and the letter I number two. And the reason for this is that the Japanese word for a mating dance or, or the, for the, this kind of ritual in, that we'll look at with the, with the birds is QI. Uh, you know, they, so QI means to, to sort of to, to want to be loved. And so it, it, you know, it, the, mating, the mating ritual or the mating dance that is, is called QI. And so I just used it so that it was easy to write in, in English. I just used the letters QI. And this is just the second in a series. It's like pepper number eight or whatever. Um, so it's, let me, it's let just, me bring this shot up on screen because I think that this shot, when, when you first look at it, hmm. um, QI, does that translate to something? Yeah. It, it literally, like I say, it's, it's the, it means uh, a mating ritual. And what are these birds? These are Japanese red crowned cranes. They're, they're, um, they're beautiful. I'm curious because I don't have perspective in this shot to tell size. Are these big? Yeah, they're about 160 centimeters tall. So that, that's what, four, four feet, four, oh, four, almost. Wow, so they're big they're, birds. Yeah, they've got a, a 2.2, uh, no, more. Um, I think about a 2.4 meter wingspan when they're, when they're when, you know, so basically if one was, was in my room here, it would be um, probably one and a half times my height. So it's yeah, maybe one and a third or so. So their wingspan is huge. They're, they're an incredibly graceful bird. So um, when, when you're taking a shot like this, for, first of all, let's get into the technical end, right? Yeah. So what camera lens and exposure is this? So for this, I was using a, an, a, one, a Canon EOS 1D Mark IV. Um, it was, this was shot in 2011, four years ago. And I used a 600 millimeter, a prime lens, a large super telephoto. And I, for this particular image, I was, I had the aperture set at F8, ISO 400 for 320th of a second. Um, and there are a few reasons why I selected that particular exposure, but uh, yeah, we can get into that if, you, if you'd well, like. Yeah, I am curious because the, the wings are out. I'm guessing mm. with a bird that large mm. that when those wings go out, they're moving fairly quickly. 
Right. So that's right. got to be part of the three twentieth portion. Yeah. So what made you I choose actually, the F eight? Well, you know, for for F eight, uh, the reason for F eight is because with a lens this size, if you've got two birds dancing together, they've almost got to be on the same focus plane, the focal plane, to get them both in in focus. Um, but I didn't want to make much more in focus. So usually if, if I think that these birds are going to be, one is going to be significantly closer and another significantly far away, I'll go down to F11 or so. And even with F11, at 600 millimeters, you've got a relatively shallow depth of field. But I because want of the lens compression of the, 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 the you know, zoom that you're using. Exactly. Um, and so F8 is a nice sweet spot. If, if you can catch them like this when they're relatively close together, then F8 will get both birds sharp, but nothing much, not much more. Um, but even for, three, for the, the shutter speed of 320th of a second, normally for a bird in flight like this, even a big bird, I would probably want to be about a 600th or, or 800th of a second. But I actually, in, in situations like this, I, I want the snow to register well and that means a tiny bit of movement but also the, if you look at the the wingtips of the the bird on the the right side of the photograph there's a little bit of movement there and that comes from the what is in reality a slightly slower shutter speed than usual for wildlife um, normally you'll go for faster but I'm, I'm selecting slightly slower because i want to capture some of the dynamism the movement and you get that when you see the, a little bit of movement in wingtips. And that, that's, that's the, the reasoning behind the shutter speed. It, it's interesting to me. I'm, I'm looking at this shot. You mentioned, you mentioned snow, and there's, there's actually two questions that I have on this. Mm. One is the position that they're in. I mean, mm. obviously, it's a mating dance. But is it common if you're shooting a Japanese red-crowned crane to come across two cranes doing this crossed position? Um, it is, it, it, the, the thing with this is that you wouldn't know from this photograph, but there are actually about 100 to, 100 to 150 birds in this area, all, all on, that, on that field of snow. And so what happens is, is the, the biggest challenge is actually getting one, or, you know, getting a pair that are dancing, but no other cranes in the foreground or background. Oh, and, and so the, that's, that's the bigger challenge. When they dance, they do, honestly, it's like watching the ballet. Um, they, they're the most graceful birds on the planet. Um, and they, they come across as, you know, they, we almost, we, we sort of personify and, and think of these as humans, but you can almost see them or feel them like, like a pair of ballet dancers. And sometimes they'll cross their heads. Sometimes they, they make wine glass shapes and things like that. But once they start dancing, it usually lasts, um, you know, anything from 15 seconds to a minute or so. Um, the, but the, the crazy thing about this shot, though, is that it had actually not been snowing. Um, we'd been, I, this was a tour of mine. I'd been traveling to the, for the, to the cranes, trying to get a photograph like this for about eight years. And, the, you know, I'd, I'd got a lot of photos that I was really happy with. But the, the thing with this one is that, for the first two days of my tour that we were in Hokkaido photographing the cranes, there'd been no falling snow. And so what that means is, is that the, the snow that, that's on the ground, it gets trampled, gets a little bit dirty, but there's also nothing in the air. And um, 
the Jay Maisel, and I know that it comes in a different a different um, situation for him. He's t- he's talking about something different, but he actually said, uh, "Never trust air that you can't see." Um, and being a native New Yorker, I understand that that's different for him. But I love to have some sort of precipitation or something in the air that gives us atmosphere. And so we actually we we woke up on the the third morning, and as we left the hotel, it it was snowing, and I thought, okay, so if it's snowing, we're not gonna. We were planning to go two hours north. We actually drove an hour back south to to the cranes, and we spent. So Just you, you had already there. had the tour at this location before. Yeah, we do, the, We were supposed to be going somewhere else on this day, but I'm the tour leader. I can do what I want. So, you know, at least within reason, within it's reason. good to be king. But, <laughs> but I, um, I, I said, okay, we're going to slight change of plans. We're going to drive back to the cranes. And we actually got back there. Um, let me see. This was shot at 9.24. So about half an hour after the, the crane center opened, um, so we, we arrived there, there were almost no other photographers there, and that's rare. Now you go there at nine o'clock and it, the place is already packed. Um, we walked in, the, the snow was falling quite heavily, beautifully, and all of my group, we lined up along this, there's like an enclosure where you, you're slightly lower down so that you look across the level of the snow. And we, we lined up, we got all of our tripods out, gimbal heads, long lenses. And how, just how as far away from the birds actually are you? We're probably about, um, depending on the birds, um, these were probably about 40 yards out, for about 30 or 40 yards out. Okay. Um, and so, you know, sometimes they come right up to the, to the front of the enclosure, but these were about 30. Now, this is, this is at 60 millimeters and it's uncropped. Um, so we got the, all of our gear out, and normally what happens is, is everything happens while you can't photograph them. And on this day, we got back there, the snow kept falling, we all got our gear out, and just as we were all just about set up and I'd called out some exposure settings, there were about four or five groups of cranes. There weren't too many in the, in the foreground, and there were about four or five groups of cranes that just started dancing spontaneously. And it was incredible, you know, that... The, my group were all firing away. We were, it was like, like the Olympics. Um, the thing for me that was actually quite t- a touching experience was that there was um, an, an elderly girl from Israel that was with us. And she, um, you know, for the snow monkeys that we'd been doing for three days before, it's actually quite a big hike in there. You walk about 30 minutes on snow. And she'd been the last one in the group and she'd been a little bit under the weather. Um, and I looked across, I looked along the group as we were photographing these, you know, I'd, I'd been photographing myself. I looked along and this, uh, this old, oldish uh, Israeli lady was jumping up and down and giggling like a 15 year old. It was like, you know, she was, you know, it makes the hair on the back of my head stand up just to talk about it. And I thought to myself how amazing a job this is, you know, to be able to take people and enable them to photograph things. I mean, I'm getting a photograph of my, of my lifetime. I want, I want to improve on it. But, you know, for me, it was, it was great. I was doing what I love, but I was also enabling a group of other people to do what they love in such an amazing place. And so it, it's, for me, it's quite a touching sort of experience, that, especially seeing that, that, get that lady do that. Once you get a shot like this, and by mm-hmm. the way, what'd you use for white balance? I usually shoot on the daylight preset. I, you know, and if I'm, if I'm outdoors, I generally leave it on the daylight preset. 
and I might tweak it later. I sometimes use the X-Rite Color Checker Passport, and actually, if you get a photo of that with the gray patch, you can set it in Lightroom. Um, I sometimes set it again in Lightroom, um, but quite often, you know, for, for birds like this, if you look at this, you'll see that it, it's got a slight blue tint to it, and that is partly because it's probably left on the daylight preset. Um, I'll just go and check. The yeah, I see what you mean about about the slight tinge to it. I'm curious. Once you get a shot like this, yeah, and you see it on the back of your camera, mm. um, and immediately start jumping for joy and dancing, you know, <laughs> like a child. Uh, but when you get it back and you bring it up on screen, and yeah. you just mentioned that you use Lightroom, what else do you use to process an image like this? Do you stay pretty much just in Lightroom? Do you use Photoshop? Any plugins that you like to use? I for this image, I actually used Nick Software's Color Effects Pro, and I added just a very small amount of, I believe, tonal contrast and detail extractor, and used that to bring out detail in the snow in the sky, uh, you know, in the the gray area at the top, and also a little bit of detail in the the bird's feathers as well. I didn't use control points, which which you can use to to apply the um, the effect just to specific areas, but because the rest of it is pretty much just white, it doesn't really have much effect. And but actually, I, I, I love the, the Color Effects Pro specifically. I like Pro Contrast and I love the tonal contrast. Yes. Is that, yeah. having not seen the image prior to processing, is, is that what brought out the falling snow to where it's so visible or was it falling that hard? To a degree, it was, I mean, it was there. I haven't added anything, but, um, to a degree, it's more defined because I used um, uh, Color Effects Pro. The one thing that I've started doing more now, though, is just using the clarity slider in Lightroom. And you can actually get this image very close to what I've, what I've got here just by pumping up the clarity to a, a, you know, maybe 30, 40, maybe even a little bit more, as long as you don't get artifacts and halos. Um, but, yeah, I've started to use the clarity a little bit more now as well. Yeah, I find on on some of the shots that I do, I love the clarity slider. I'm I'm against overuse of the clarity slider, and I'm probably guilty of it myself at times. But <laughs> the clarity slider with the white point, black point, you can do amazing things nowadays. I I love the shot. Oh, thanks. And I so appreciate your sharing it with us today. Um, did you learn anything from finally getting after eight years the shot of your dreams? Um, I I think that the the thing that I really like to live in my photography is that, yeah, the, you, persistence and patience is really important, especially with wildlife, because you can't control it. Um, you know, this could have happened and there could have been three, three other cranes, a pigeon and a crow in the foreground, and I would have lost the whole, the whole thing. Um, so p persistence and perseverance, because in the end, I mean, like I say, it took me, I was traveling to Hokkaido in the winter for eight years to get this shot. Um, so yeah, you've got to be patient. You've got to be there. You're not going to get anything unless you're sitting in bed, um, get up early, stay out late and do, you know, do as much as you can to, to enable yourself to get the image. But the and, other and, thing, and I it's like a lot of people say with landscape and, and with wildlife, um, that, or any type of nature one, yeah, it's patient, but then there may be that moment where you have to say, okay, right now, got to go right now. Like you did, you turned them around basically when it started yeah. snowing. 
because yeah. when when everything aligns visiting the same area more than once can be yeah. key to getting the shot the fact that you're on a beautiful beach that could have a beautiful sunset if it doesn't have all the the elements for a perfect picture you may have to go back on a different day exactly um, yeah. And I, I think on this shot, you did a fantastic job. Again, I, I really appreciate it. You've got a lot of stuff. You've got Iceland. You've got Antarctica shots. If people want to see more from Martin Bailey Photography, where, where do they go? Um, MartinBaileyPhotography.com. Uh, everything is, on, is linked from that main website. So, so they can yeah. find your Facebook from there. They yes. can find uh, Twitter, Google Plus, Instagram. Although in looking around myself, Facebook and Instagram were Martin Bailey photography as well. Twitter and Google Plus is just at Martin Bailey. That makes it nice and easy. Martin, I so appreciate your being here today, man. Not at all. It's, it, thanks for having me. It's been a, a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much. And, and to you, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of uh, Behind the Shot. Each episode, we're going to try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a look behind one of their shots. 